Almighty Father, we're so grateful that you give us your word. Lord, we're grateful that you give us your grace, both in calling us into this world and for creation into this world, sustaining creation, and even when we turn away from you, Lord, being our light in the darkness and redeeming us to new creation. And all of this you do through the power of your son, your word. May we, your people, rejoice in that fact and have security in our place with you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Excuse me, why? As a family, we are slowly changing seasons of life. Not so long ago, uh, the Ergo baby carrier was used constantly. We had baby bottles everywhere and spit up rags were abundantly supplied. The whole thing was new to us when we had Elsa and when we moved to Rwanda, we were gravely concerned about getting every single thing right. And by the time our youngest Iris comes along, there was a great deal less stress about those little things and we were a whole lot busier in general. And as time marches on, our spit up rags have turned into homework sheets and the ergo sits in rest after a long season of use. Water bottles have replaced baby bottles. New adventures, joys, and indeed challenges await. Well, one of the things that has changed is the way that our kids get excited about giving gifts. This past Christmas, the two older children were particularly excited to get gifts for sure, but also more than ever before, eager to give gifts away, both to us and to each other. Perhaps my favorite moment uh, of the whole season was Ivan and I venturing into a Dollar General store with a $15 budget. And we combed through the whole store looking for little knickknacks for uh, and determining what would each member of the family really enjoy. And he decided to spend $5 of his whole budget on this metallic uh, colorful gen, uh, gel pen set for his sister Elsa who loves art. We carefully found scented candles for mom and a crayon pack for Iris, hair elastics, which always seem to evaporate from being in our home. On Christmas morning, we opened our gifts and the kids thoroughly enjoyed seeing Emily and I unwrap the gifts that they had picked out for us. And we loved it. Um, we loved the gifts that they had given us, not so much even for the things themselves, though they were nice, uh, but for the excitement of giving, for their excitement of giving, for their joy and receiving and giving to others. But at no point did we think to ourselves somehow that we are $15 the richer because they gave us $15 worth of gifts. The money, after all, had come from us. The whole thing was primarily an exchange of love rather than goods. The goods they gave us were ultimately dependent on our gifting them money in the first place. And so if the kids had thought that they were in some way leveraging their gifts for our affection, they would have gotten the whole thing completely backwards. Well, this morning, Paul invites us to see our whole lives, and especially our salvation, as a gift of grace, a gift of grace. Paul wants to ensure that we do not lose sight of the radical grace of God that we know through faith in Christ. Let's hear that text again. But God, 
Those are two wonderful words in scripture whenever you find them. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. People, that should make us want to get up and dance a jig. It's entirely reasonable for us to want to whoop and shout amen. This, the good news that we're always talking about, this is it. This is the good news right here. And today I want us to reflect on two questions. What do we mean by grace? What do we mean by grace? And what does grace mean for us? What do we mean by grace? And what does grace mean for us? First, what do we mean by this thing, grace, that we always are talking about? Well, when Paul talks about grace, many of us think mercy, right? And rightly so. Without the radical work of God in our lives, we are, as Paul puts it, dead people walking. We are cut off from the promises of God and the reality of God's salvation and walking according to ignorance, as he says earlier in Philippians. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Jesus. By grace, we have been saved through faith and not by works. In other words, we were in this situation where we were completely hopeless to escape on our own power, spiraling toward death and despair, and God came down to carry us out of the pit on the back of his son, Jesus, so that in lifting Jesus up, we who put our trust in Jesus are raised up from the dead and given new life in him. Radical mercy. But God's grace is even deeper than mercy. The grace of God, the gratuity of God begins not in redemption, but in creation. As Christians, we believe that the Lord creates the world ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing. Augustine writes that creation itself comes from the overflow of God's love shared between the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so creation springs into being through the word. The whole cosmos expanding outward from God's own self. The whole thing is completely unnecessary. It's completely gratuitous. And so far, so good. I think most of us have this part on lock. But this is where we so often lose the trail. We start to imagine that the Lord making the world and sets it up like some sort of complex clock, moving with cogs and springs which turn on their own. And then every once in a while, when he sees fit, he puts his little fingers in there and monkeys around with the mechanics. But that is not what Christians believe about God and creation. It's neither the God of the Bible nor the God of Christian theology. Instead, imagine a pitch black room with a single light bulb in the middle. And you turn it on and bang, 
the whole emptiness is filled with light. And as long as the light bulb is on, the light fills the space. But the moment it is shut off, everything goes black again. The light bulb sends out the light and constantly sustains it in each moment. So it is with creation and God. In him we live and move and have our very being. All things came into existence through Christ and what? All things hold together in Christ. The very atoms and sinews of the world are sustained in every moment by the creative activity of a loving God. And we, his creation, have the freedom to either reflect that love or to create a shadow by turning away from it. God is nearer to us than our very breath because we are radically, radically dependent on the Lord for our very being. Now, to some, the idea is that we who are created, we who create these shadows by turning away from God, need to make enough light to fill them up again. You can sort of imagine this, right? With one light bulb in the room, and then you turn, and all of a sudden the shadow is cast, right? And here's the problem. How do you get rid of the shadow? How do you deal with the shadow now that you've turned? Is the idea that you have to create enough light to fill in that shadow? No. That's completely silly. Uh, we only reflect God's own light. We don't have our own luminance. We are like the moon, not like stars. It would be like my children giving me gifts purchased with my own money and thinking that they had made me materially richer for it. What we do, the good works that we do, what do we have that has not been given? Nothing. Nothing at all. The idea that we can somehow accomplish our own salvation to fill in the shadows of the world through good works is, is simply childish. By pure and unmerited grace, God brought us into the world at all through the word. And by pure and unmerited grace, God sustains us in the word. And by pure and unmerited grace, through the word made flesh, Jesus, the Lord begins new creation and all those who put their trust in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace, the whole thing, is grace. And this should make the world ever more beautiful to us. Each stone and stream and fleck of green that pushes up through the melting snow offers us a glimpse of God's delight in creation, fallen, fallen though it may be for the moment. Grace is not just the mercy of God toward a fallen creation, though it is that, but also God's grace is what's holding creation together all the time. And that, that is what we mean by grace. What I think Paul means by grace, which brings us to our second question. What does all of that mean for us? What does grace mean for us? Well, I want to answer in three parts. First, grace means that we find our absolute security in Christ. Grace means that we find our absolute security in Christ. Second, it means that we are given an inheritance of love. Grace means we're given an inheritance of love. And three, it means that we live in a world 
of possibilities and hope. We live in a world of possibilities and hope. First, security in Christ. Guys, this is, and this is so crucial, so crucial. Grace offers us a gift so beautiful and so good that we can scarce imagine it. In fact, we have, in earnest, a really hard time believing it at all. Because there is this gnawing restlessness in our hearts, a restless, opaque fear that we are not enough. That we are not quite right, that we are fundamentally vulnerable and exposed and all out of sorts. And then when we look at our death, at our own frailty, we have nothing to do to escape any of it. And so we turn to anything and everything to cover up the chasm inside us that opens out into the nothingness out of which God creates us. We want to do something to make it feel better. And the whole of our advertising industry is really predicated on getting us to attach and detach ourselves to things to fill this desire, to consume and dispose everything in an endless cycle, holding out this false hope that they will make us feel secure, better. Well, in a sense, vulgar moralism is a kind of spiritual commercialism, holding out forever this, uh, hold, forever holding out this idea that if you do enough, and try harder and be better, that somehow you're going to arrive at some place where you're creating your own light to fill in the shadow. Like a dog chasing its own tail or a person running from her own darkness or shadow. And if we sit, if we sat with ourselves long enough, those insecurities would bubble up to the surface and be easy for us to see. And this is why we rarely sit with ourselves in quiet. Worse yet, the reality of these insecurities form a kind of self-delusion sometimes that we call pride. Boasting, in Paul's language in Ephesians. Pride is what happens when we delight in our own graciousness to God and to one another, forgetting our ultimate dependence on him for everything to begin with. And this is why fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom. Fear of the Lord begins with this recognition that the Lord is God and we are not. Fear of the Lord begins with that great categorical distinction. And the Pharisees were masters of this prideful self-deception. Law-abiding created this facade of righteousness as if they're creating their own light. All the while, their hearts become poisoned and dark. The world says to you, you are not pretty enough, or smart enough, or wealthy enough, or interesting enough, or holy enough. You must be better. The prideful says, look how pretty and smart and healthy and holy I am. Praise God that I am not like this sinner over here. Grace says something altogether different. Grace says that who cares if they think you are not enough, I am enough. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by sheer grace. And it is only by grace in Jesus Christ that new creation can grow in you where you have turned away from me. 
But there's another gospel that we hear all around us. It's a, I'm going to call it the Disney gospel. It says, oh, don't worry, you are enough. Like a well-intentioned white lie to make us feel better. And subconsciously, that is the gospel that we are all trained to tell ourselves and our friends when we feel insecure. But that is like drinking salt water. It will feel cold on your tongue and seem to quench your thirst for a while, but it will make you more thirsty in the end, and you will die of dehydration. No, the gospel is not that we are enough, but that Christ is enough. That by grace we have been saved through trusting him. And so when we feel the aching insecurity in our hearts that tells us we are not enough, we can say, who cares? I am not enough. But Christ is, and Christ is all in all. I will never be enough to calm the waves of my soul. Only the word of Christ can do that. And that, that place of living into grace and security in Christ being enough, that is freedom. That is true security. That is true strength. Because the person who is wholly secure in Jesus carries humility around with them like a blessing of grace to everyone they meet. And so it means that we have our security in Christ. But grace also means that we have an inheritance of love. It means we have an inheritance of love. Now, here is the difficult part of the sermon. <clears throat> when most pa pastors, or many, pivot from grace all back to back to all the things that we have to do. And so the many hearts that have been uplifted by the gospel's light leave the church once again yoked with the burdens of obligation and fear when we start talking about good works. Friends, do not let that happen to you today. Do not let it happen to you now or ever. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The grace of Jesus transforms the thou shalt not of the Ten Commandments from a threat into a promise. A promise of an inheritance. By God's grace, thou shalt not live enslaved to idolatry or lies or violence. Thou shalt not live enslaved to all the things that you've been enslaved to now. You will be raised up to new creation. Not just on the day of resurrection, but even now. And that, that is the promise of eternal life in Jesus. And the inheritance that we receive by grace is best of all. The inheritance we receive by the love of God is the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Christ says, this command I give to you, that you love one another. But the command is indeed an invitation. By grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. What do we have that has not been given? Our own works are useless, but when we love we are stepping into our salvation. It is the enjoyment of our salvation. We, sh we are sharing in God's own self because God is love. When we love others, we are enjoying our salvation. We are walking 
in the things God created for us. We are his workmanship. The workmanship that God is creating in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works of love. Friends, the command to love is not a burden, it's a gift. What is eternal life if not a life of love? And what are works that Paul is talking about here if not the fruit of love? A life of grace is a life freed from the tyranny of moralism and opened up to a life of self-giving love to others. Because when you are freed from assuaging your own insecurities by the judgment of others or the hollow comparisons of yourself to others, you are freed to love people where you find them. It is out of the absolute security that we have in the person of Christ, in Christ being enough, out of that security that we can live a life of joy and love toward others. Which brings us to our final point of what grace means to us. It means we have security in Christ. It means we have an inheritance of love to enjoy the salvation. And it also means that we live in a world of possibilities and hope. Grace means we live in a world of possibilities and hope. When we allow ourselves to be embraced by the enormity of God's grace, when he finally breaks into our little prisons of fear and insecurity, and we begin to enjoy our salvation by love, by allowing the fruits of love to be grown on the vines of our soul, the whole universe opens up to us. When the disciples are there with 5,000 people present and hear Jesus preach, they have no framework for imagining that he can take five loaves of bread and feed the entire crowd. They are stuck in zero-sum thinking, and it has constrained their imagination. And to be fair to the disciples, who can blame them, right? Who can blame them in that moment? When we trust God's grace in our lives, in the power of the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit of love in us by allowing, by abiding in Christ, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. That God can spring up creation ex nihilo all around us in miraculous ways. The universe is not a closed system of cogs and springs like a clock but a world sustained by the infinite wellspring of God's gratuitous love. How else could we imagine new possibilities and new life? How could we imagine resurrection? How could we ever hope to love our enemies or forgive our debtors? How else can the sick be healed or the dead raised? How else could we imagine a future for our children or imagine God's providence in bringing this church a new and perfect rector for the role. Grace cracks open our little systems of thinking, our little systems of reasonableness, and invites us to see that God is making new things out of nothing all the time, all around us. Friends, it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith in Jesus our Lord. And that means we have security in him. It means that we have an inheritance of love, an enjoyment of our salvation. And it means that we live in a world of possibilities and hope. 
And that, that is the good news. Pray with me. Oh, Lord. Lord, stir in us an awareness of your grace and your mercy. Stir in us an awareness that we are radically dependent on you and that you are enough. And that, Lord, from that place of you being enough, that we can live lives, lives of incredible joy and thankfulness and indeed love. And the fruit of that love bearing gifts, good works in the world. Lord, crack open our imaginations and stir in us hope so that we can see you active and making things new around us. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ.